Welcome to the St. Anne Roman Catholic Podcast, coming to you from Gilbert, Arizona. We pray that God will bless your time as you listen. Dear friends, I welcome you to the liturgy of the evening mass of the 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. St. Paul last Sunday gave a wonderful theology of marriage using the analogy of Christ and the church. He challenged husbands and wives to love themselves as Christ loves the church. This love of husband and wife should be unconditional, sacrificial, and reciprocal. When the family enjoys peace, love, and understanding, she can radically confess with Joshua and Peter. As for me and my family, it is the Lord that we shall serve. Nothing as good as a happy family. A happy family where a husband and a wife live as sisters and brothers. Peace radiates. They enjoy themselves. There is forgiveness. There is tolerance. There is humility. The sense of belonging in such a family. When those that are not married see them say, oh, I long I would have been married. I want to feel like the other person. We make the marriage life so admirable that our children will be happy to, ha- to marry. We become an example of the marriage life. And I think this was the situation of Joshua. He said, as for me and my family, it is the Lord that we shall serve. Make your marriage an exemplary marriage so that others at least seeing you will long to get there. And unfortunately today, a lot of families are so sour that some, when they, 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 they come across us, they feel as if not to get near there at all. Marriage is instituted by God himself. Israel was a chosen people of God. God entered into a covenant and gave them laws to regulate their relationship. Moses played a significant role in giving the laws to the people of Israel. These laws were later documented in the books of Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Numbers. However, with the passage of time, as community became bigger and sophisticated, the leaders enacted new rules. 
With the coming of Judaism, the religious leaders, notably the scribes and the Pharisees, began to place higher premium on man-made laws and their external observances than the internal disposition, external laws at the expense of the inner disposition of those that keep the laws. A good Jew then was known through external observances of religious rites. The Pharisees were the all in all and the teachers of the law. They were the big men in the church. Jesus found himself in this status quo to advocate for any form of change will be greeted with stiff resistance. Uh, the Pharisees have the seats of honor in the church. They were the big, big, big masquerades. Today the gospel presents us with one of the encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees quick to ask who we are the Pharisees. John Mackenzie, in his Dictionary to the Bible, defines the Pharisees as the separated brethren or the distinguished brethren, people that have set themselves aside from excluding themselves from other people because they feel they knew much and they were able to keep Whatever God has asked them to do, they couldn't get near to others, to be contaminated. So they were a sect. They were the teachers of the laws. They were a party or a sect within Judaism, mentioned frequently in the Gospels, that we are a party, that we are extremely hostile to Jesus, extremely hostile to Jesus. The Pharisees conceived Judaism as a religion centered upon observances of the laws, and they interpreted the obligations of the law in the most severe manner. The Pharisees were distinct from the Sadducees chiefly in their strict observance of religious ceremonies and adhered to oral laws and traditions and beliefs in the resurrection. What was then the mentality of the Pharisees that put them at loggerhead with Jesus? They were hypocritical in their approach to religion with a better than thou attitude as exhibited in the gospel of Luke chapter 15 from verses 29 and then Luke chapter 18 verse 9 the story of the prodigal son when the elder brother returned back from work he called one of the servants to inquire, what the hell is happening in the house? 
And then the servant said, Ah, your brother is back. Your brother is back and your dad has declared feast in the house. That the coven, that the calf, the, 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 the calf you have been looking after has been slaughtered. And there is a big ceremony taking place. And the elder brother said, I will not go to that house. And when the father finally came out to find out, he said that he has stayed in this house, obeying every rule in this house. He's been doing, he's been very, very committed in this house. And nothing was given to him and his friends. But this your son, just returning from his life of debauchery, he went and wasted your resources with women. And he is returning and you are receiving him. To him that was intolerable. The father simply said, Now you have been with me all this while. What I have is yours. It is only good that we welcome this your brother. He was lost, now he is found. He was dead, he is back to life. You see the attitude of a Pharisee. As far as they are concerned, sinners should be condemned. They are condemned, you should condemn them to death. But Jesus said, no, there is hope for the sinner. Beyond the tunnel, you can find light. And likewise, the two people that went to pray, the Sadducees, the Pharisee and then the publican. When the Pharisee wanted to pray, he said, he said, he stood apart by himself and prayed, I thank you, God, that I am not as greedy, dishonest, or an adulterer like everybody else. I thank you that I am not like this tax collector over there. I fast two days a week. And I give, I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and would not even raise his eyes to face heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then the story will conclude. I tell you, he left happier than the other person. St. Paul's was also a Pharisee. He had a hand in the killing of Stephen, as we can see in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8. And then he left in chapter 9 to ask for a warrant to go anyone he finds with the name Christian was prepared to go and arrest the person and then will be executed. We see that in Acts of the Apostles chapter 9, it was on his way that God decided to arrest him. First, he became a Christian. And the passion he used in fighting the Christian was the one he used in preaching the good news. They saw Jesus as their arch enemies, and that is the Pharisees. Hence, 
His revolutionary agenda has unfolded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, made him a radical reformer. His views about fasting was un unconventional. He broke the social rules and his disciples of eating without washing their hands, healing and walking on the Sabbath day, eating and drinking with tax collectors and prostitutes, as we can see in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Mother Angelica spoke on this within the week when she was talking about the sinners that deserve to return back home where God will give them a good hawk and a good kiss. But the Pharisees are not happy to see the sinner returning home. When Simon, who invited Jesus for dinner, saw sinners coming, and then the woman, the prostitute, came with a jar of oil, and then poured it on the feet of Jesus, and rubbed it with her hair. And this man was so surprised that if Jesus were a prophet, he would have known who this woman is and would have scared her far from him. But Jesus said to Simon, I came to this house, you didn't anoint my feet. And here is this woman doing all the good works. What is the problem with you? So, they thought Jesus brought a new dimension to religion. Therefore, they stood vehemently against Jesus and began to plot to get rid of him as it will finally happen on the cross. Jesus brought a new dispensation that made Christianity unique from Judaism and other religions. Jesus went out of his way to help the needy, the sick, the thirsty, the hungry, and so on irrespective of sex, rest, and nationality. Jesus was prepared to touch the untouchable like the lepers, like the sinners, like the prostitute, not in order to become a sinner or a leper, but in order to give them the human dignity they deserve as human beings. But others will be grumbling. Why did he have to do that? Like St. Paul's, Jesus wants us to understand. Uh, Jesus became all things to all people that all may be safe. He condescended himself to our level in order to bring us out of sin. That is why he left his heavenly abode to come to earth in order to reconcile us with the Father. Jesus wants us to understand the Pharisees that sin does not emanate from outside but from inside. The mind and heart are the engine room where sin begins. Everything good begins from the heart. It is from the heart, goodness and evil are conceived, pondered upon, calculated before their execution.
Sin begins here. Now if you see somebody stealing, he didn't come by chance. He sat down to calculate how he will do it. Otherwise, he's not stealing. He calculated it. Mention the sin. It was premeditated. You calculate how you will carry it out, and then the execution comes. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, this thing you are talking about, washing hands, washing this, washing all the rules, social rules, he said that is not the problem. The problem is with the human heart. When you punch, punch, clean the human heart from sin, our attitudes are good, what we think is good, our actions will be good. But evil begins right inside. Is it the thought of adultery? The thought of fornication? The thought of stealing? The thought of killing? It begins here and gradually we calculate on how we can exhibit and then execute it successfully and then we carry out our act. And Jesus told them that this is what happens. Lessons that we can derive from these Christians today need to tread with caution lest we fall into the death trap of hypocrisy. Judgmental attitude, a life of comparison, pretentious life, and better than thou attitude. Better than thou attitude. Religiosity that is peripheral and skin deep is common to thee. The tendency to Phariseeism, Pharisaic behavior, is in all of us. Tendencies to Pharisaic behavior is in all of us, with me inclusive. How does it happen? This is evident in our homes, Evidence in our churches, in our families, and other places, workplaces. When the boss is watching us, we are different people from when the boss is not around. Man and a wife married. When the wife travels, spend many weeks outside, and then the husband was used to coming home, is used to coming, returning home, let's say like uh, 7 o'clock. And this time around, that she's not around, may decide, at least let me extend to eight, nine, and the rest of them. So when people are around and when they are not there, sometimes we wear masks. But what teaching today is saying to us, we have to unmask ourselves and be natural people so that we'll be able to relate very well with people that the hypocrite, Jesus called them hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone that has two faces. One is real and one is fake. He uses one at his convenience and uses the other one when situations warrant. And for the Pharisees, they prefer to wear the mask. And when you wear the mask, you are not yourself. You only act. We are challenged to remove our mask and be ourselves if we are rotting, we should return back to Jesus and seek for forgiveness. And this is why Jesus will say, 
that until our Christianity goes beyond that of the Pharisees and then the scribes, we cannot make it to heaven. In another place, he told them that they wash the outside and leave the inside dirty. That which one is more better? Wash inside and then outside will look after itself. I end with a, a story about two monks. The two monks went for evangelization in a neighboring village. A couple of miles away from where they were, they were resident. On that fateful day, it rained cat and dock, and the river flooded. Fortunately, they were good swimmers. On the contrary, a woman was at the river bank returning from the farm. She was desperately in their needs to be home to attend to her family. The two monks couldn't help her because it was abominable for a monk to carry a woman. Abominable for a monk to carry a woman no matter how desperately she needed help. However, on a second thought, considering her need to attend to her children, one of the monks damned the consequences and volunteered to assist the woman. He helped her cross to the other side to attend to her family. She was elated, very happy, and expressed profound appreciation to the monk that assisted her. After said and done, the pious monk that refused to assist this woman, this woman went home and reported to their superior that the other monk carried a, a woman across the river. The other monk was summoned to come and give an account. And the other monk said to the superior, I only helped this woman to cross over the river and I left her there. And this other hypocritical monk carried this woman from the river up to this point. Which one is most sinful? To help the woman cross over or to wait for someone that will assist her and then you will say, this person is a sinner for carrying a woman, assisting her to go to attend to her children. Be careful of hypocrisy in the practice of Christianity. Thank you for listening to the St. Anne Roman Catholic Podcast. For additional podcasts and media, visit us on the web at www.sanneaz.org. Again, that's www.stanneaz.org. St. Anne, pray for us.